As Tammy reminded us earlier, we've been talking together for a few weeks now about the other 167. Understanding there are 168 hours in a week and we are together for uh, give or take approximately one of those. What are we doing as the church for the other 167? Who is the church when we're not sitting here in the pews? What, what is the rest of the week look like for us? And we've been challenged along the way to consider the fact that God never intended his people to only be his people within stained glass windows and pews. It is, it is a life. It's who we are now as the children of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the church. So we're much more than just the one hour every week. This morning as we continue to think about the other 167, I want us to think about the importance of living life together. Living life together. An army, let's say, has more than 50,000 soldiers. That's made up of two or more corps. A corps has 20 to 45,000 soldiers, and it's made up of two to five divisions. A division is 10 to 15 soldiers, and that's made up of probably three brigades. A brigade has three to 5,000 soldiers, and it's made up of two to five battalions. A battalion has 300 to 1,000 soldiers, and it's made up of four to six companies. A company has 62 to 190 soldiers, and it's made up of three to five platoons. A platoon has 16 to 44 soldiers, and it's made up of two to four squads. A squad is made up of four to 10 soldiers. And let me ask you, is it easier for a soldier to have a real connection to the people in his brigade or his squad? You see, the most meaningful connections happen through personal interaction, and that happens best in the smallest groups. I want us to think together about how we live the other 167 as we live life together. Mark chapter 3 is going to help us look at that because I want to show you something. I think Jesus, I think Jesus understood, although he never directly addresses it, I think by his example we see that he understood that illustration of the army. You've got a big group and that's wonderful, but if you're really going to make connections, you've got to have a smaller group so you can relate to one another and share life, do life together. Because at the height of his ministry, Jesus was leading thousands, literally thousands of people. And when I say leading, I mean that literally as well. They followed him wherever he went. And it was, it was in that ministry of the thousands that finally he, he decided, you know what, I'm gonna have to withdraw from these folk, and I'm gonna pick 12 that I'm really going to relate to. I'm gonna pour my life into these 12. And then from within that 12, he had three that were his closest friends. 
He had three that he took with him deeper into the Garden of Gethsemane. He had three that he took with him up the mountain of transfiguration. The more that we need to pour into one another, the more that we need to relate to one another, the more we need to be in smaller groups to accomplish that very task. Look with me at that story, if you will. We're in Mark chapter 3, and let's begin at verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. Now it says he withdrew with his disciples. We don't know how many that is. We don't know how many it means that he, he, he tried to withdraw with those that he was, that he was connecting to and leading. I don't, we don't know that that's not the 12. That could be the, the 120 that we hear about. But that, that, was, that was a big group of people, and he tried to withdraw with those who were really following and listening to him. But then the great crowd came. The thousands came from all over the region. And it says, continuing there in verse 8, when the great crowd heard all he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Now if we jump forward to verse 13, it says, He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. He went up on the mountain to try to get, get out of the, the crowd, the, the great crowd is what it says, and they were pressing against him so much he couldn't do what he needed to do, much less say what he needed to say to the few to whom he needed to say it. So he withdraws to the mountain, and it says he called to him those whom he desired, verse 14, he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So you see how he, he had the thousands, but he called the twelve. Why did he call those twelve? You think about it, out of the thousands, couldn't he have just said, hey, all you thousands, y'all go and tell everybody about me. But instead, he pulled the 12 aside. And why would, he, why would he pull just the 12? Well, it doesn't tell us. We're not told. But I'm sure that there's more than one answer as to why he did that. At least part of that answer is that he could not pour himself into the crowd. You see, it's more than the information. He could have given the crowd the information. But Christianity is not about the information. It's not about learning the right things to say so you can check it off a list and you're in. Christianity is about relationship. And he could not spend the next year and a half or so pouring his life into the thousands. But he could the 12. And so he got the 12 together so that they could have relationship. He created a small group so that they could share life together and he could disciple and lead and shepherd them. You see, the larger the group, the shallower our interactions. The smaller the group, the greater our connections. And so he 
established a small group. We try to follow his example, and our church is structured around small groups. In our church, we have three kinds of small groups. We, uh, we include Sunday morning Bible study, what was always traditionally called Sunday school. We, that's, that's one of our, the types of small groups that we have. We have, uh, we have Sunday morning Bible study for all ages and many different kinds of, of uh, gatherings at that time at 9 o'clock. So there it really is something for everyone at that time. And when you come at that time, you can find a small group in, in which you can connect and share life. But we also have short-term Bible studies like the one that's going to begin on Tuesday for the ladies. They'll meet in the morning and then a different group will meet in the evening for the next, uh, next few weeks. The short-term Bible studies form small groups and we, we have the opportunity to interact in those as well. And then really the, I guess the, the, the key to the whole small group structure of our church is what we call life groups. And the life groups meet sometime during the other 167, sometime other than Sunday morning. And those groups make a kind of a long-term commitment to one another. Those groups begin to share life in a real way so that they're actually keeping up with each other during the week and they're encouraging each other along the way. They get together and they, they'll have fellowship time, they'll have a meal, they'll, they'll encourage uh, one another during their times together, they study together, they grow together, they serve together, do uh, mission work of some kind together. We challenge each other, we hold each other accountable. Life groups in our church are groups of four to 12 people who share life together. Beyond the walls, the other 167, when it's time to live out what we believe. We need a group of people who know us, who can help us to live out that life, the other 167. And so the life group is, is uh, incredibly important, and that's why we've made it a, a major part of our church structure. These are relationships that most people are looking for when they start coming to church. That's what's so interesting to me. Most people who start coming to church come not because they want to sit on a hard pew and listen to a preacher. Most people who start coming to church come because they're looking for real relationships. They're looking for relationships with other people and they're looking for a way that they can have a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God. The interesting thing is you can't really make those kind of relationship connections on Sunday morning. That's what people come looking for, but you can't really find it at 10:15 on Sunday morning, primarily because you're sitting in rows and you're looking at the back of somebody's head instead of sitting in a circle looking at their face and connecting. Those meaningful connections and a sense of purpose and belonging, uh, personal relationships, friends that you can trust, all of that develops in a small group interaction, not in large group experiences. Large group is great for worship, 
but it's not made for discipleship, fellowship, service, connection, or personal interaction. All of that happens in small groups. Look at the one another commands in Scripture. There are 40 to 50 of them. Love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. All, those, all the one another's in Scripture. 40 to 50 of them. And did you realize that you cannot live out most of those in the one hour that we spend together in worship? Almost all of the one another's have to be done during the other 167, and they work best when we are intentional about them, and we say, let's all get together. Let's the 14 of us get together at such and such a time, such and such a place, so that we can live out the one another's intentionally. You see, being a disciple was never intended to be a one hour a week experience, but it was intended to be a 168 hour commitment. What happens in our life groups helps us live as disciples and not just spectators. We were never intended to live the Christian life on our own. The Bible always refers to the church in terms of community. You notice that? The Bible always refers to the church in terms of community. We're called one body of many members. We're called a, a, a building of living stones. We're called a people, a, a nation, community, plurality, all of us together. For God so loved the world. We're the ones who make it about individuals. We're the ones who think we can do it on our own. Scripture always ties us together. We need one another. We were never intended to live Christian life alone. We can see that example in 1 Peter, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession. Again, in Titus in chapter 2, it talks about Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his possession. That's the way that the Bible refers to us as a people, a group. So that's why it is so important for us to find a way to be a group throughout the other 167. Find a way to connect with one another. And that is, by the way, the reason, one of the reasons that we come to the table. You know, when Jesus first instituted what we now call the Lord's Supper. When he first instituted communion, he didn't go down to the H-E-B and buy some crackers. They were gathered together to have a meal. And it was within that setting of a meal that he fulfilled the, the purpose, the meaning of that meal. And then once the church is established in the book of Acts, you know what they start to do? They start to have meals together. Nowhere in the New Testament did they get a cracker and a plastic cup of juice. They had meals. But in the context of the meal, they would remember. Now what's the big deal about a meal? Where do you connect with your family? It's really not in front of the TV watching Blue Bloods. That's not where we really connect, is it? It's at the table. 
When you want to spend time with, with your friends and you want to really connect with them, what do you do? Let's meet at Two Amigos. We do it at the table. That's where we connect. The word communion means to share. You see, communion is, that word is not just saying that we are going to commune or connect with God, but it also means that we're going to commune with one another, connect to one another. Beloved, we need one another and we're made to need one another. I want to encourage you, find a place in the family. Don't settle for the one hour. That's too shallow as far as relationships go. Connect the other 167. And this morning I encourage you to connect with this family at the table. Deacons, would you join me at the table?